And so people started to think for themselves. It's not instant. It takes some time. It takes consistency in terms of your approach. Welcome to the Get Real About Business podcast, where we uncover the real deal of what it takes to start and grow a business fast. It's all about earning the right, where we work hard today so we can reap the reward tomorrow. Prepare for some hot tips today. I'll be your host, Clive Maloney. Hey, 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 welcome back. This is episode two, season two. And today we get to talk about a topic that we didn't really cover very much in season one. And something I'm really excited about because over the last, well, maybe 16 years or so, I spent a lot of time in, uh, in, in the world of teaching uh, and mentoring around leadership. And 16 years teaching it, and I spent pretty much my whole entire career studying it and the more I learn the more I realize how much there is to learn you see the thing that sparked it for me is when I got my first opportunity as uh, as a support team manager at Essex County Council it was my first management job and one of the things you know, one of the conversations I remember having at the time was giving my notice into my current employer and uh, I remember my manager at the time Adam uh, his name was Adam said to me are you sure you want to do this? Are you really sure you want to do this? Of course, I said, yes, you know, of course, I'm not, I know what I'm doing. Um, and it turned out that this particular place that I had uh, that I'd been given a position in had a record for having very militant staff, very, very challenging staff. Now, the reason for that, as it turned out later, is that they hadn't actually been managed properly for the last five or so years. So, of course, staff were used to getting their own way. And uh, when I, of course, stepped into that role, it proved to be everything that Adam told me about. Uh, that The staff were very, very challenging. And it was probably about the most, uh, the most difficult, most challenging uh, time in my entire career. It was a bit like trial by fire. And I very, very nearly gave up on management and leadership entirely and thought I would have to go back to being a frontline member of staff and that would have been it, uh, you know, as far as my career in, in, in that area was concerned. So what I got to realise is that at the end of the day, leadership is all about one thing. This is the thing that's, that has in, that's in line with marketing and sales, which is my area of focus now. It was Leadership was going to be the area that I was going to specialise in. But leadership, marketing and sales is all about one thing. It is about influence. That's all it's about. It's about influence. I'm sure my guest today will uh, correct me if she thinks otherwise, but influence is the, the biggest thing. We need to be able to influence people on a daily basis, not just the people who work for us or work underneath us in a hierarchical structure but we need to influence the people around us and so when you set up your business and you decided that you wanted to be a small business owner or an entrepreneur or whatever you call yourself you stepped into a position of leadership and maybe it was entitled only at that time as as you thought but very quickly you realize that when you run a small business no matter how big or small that business is your job is to influence people and therefore, you need to have leadership skills, not just to, to have a better business, not just to grow a business, but to survive in business. So this is what we're talking about today. How do you become an effective leader? And 
how do you influence people around you? Maybe you've got a team that you're growing already, and so you've got staff underneath you, or maybe you're outsourcing uh, various different projects or pieces of work to uh, to other people, other companies. You're still going to need to manage that. You're still going to have to influence those people. And so today we're going to have a look at what we mean by leadership, how to do that, how to get the most out of people. Uh, essentially, it really is about uh, it's about affecting behaviour, affecting hearts, minds, and behaviour. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, before I introduce my guest, I just want to take a moment to thank someone. Thank you to Kim. Uh, one of the things that I found really important in growing any channel whether it's YouTube, whether it's podcast, or anything else, it comes down to reviews. And so recently, Kim left me a review on Apple Podcasts. I just want to give her a shout out about that. She says that the Get Real About Business podcast was insightful, interesting, and inspiring. She's given us a five-star rating. Thank you very much for that. We get a lot of five-star ratings on this podcast. So we're really pleased with that. Uh, and Kim goes on to say, great conversations on a broad spectrum of business-related topics, a great listen, informative and relatable for people in business, not just business owners and entrepreneurs. And today is definitely going to be a piece of that as well. So everything that you learn today is going to be relatable, even if you're not a business owner, because essentially these skills that we're talking about here are life skills. They're about how you get ahead in pretty much any situation, because leadership comes in in so many different places. So thank you very much, Kim, for uh, leaving us that five-star review. And if you are listening to this show and you love what you hear and you haven't left us a review, then uh, please do us a favour and do so as well. So you can go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you found this. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Five stars would be awesome. But whatever you think, uh, I promise to read them all. And uh, you never know, you could be the next person in our listener spotlight. So thanks very much for that. Now we're going to get on to the topic today, which is, of course, uh, leadership. We're specifically, we're talking about enlightened leadership. To help us with that today, I've got my a guest here who is a multiple number one international best-selling author. She's a sort of motivational speaker, empowerment coach, and transformation, transformational leadership trainer with over 30 years of experience. She really is very good. Uh, she's the founder of Thrive Together Tribe, a personal and spiritual development program, and the Enlightened Leadership Program. So helping us explore this whole concept about enlightened leadership and how to get the most out of this. Uh, welcome, Gina Gardner. Thank you very much for having me on the show. I'm really pleased to be here. <laughs> Good. Well, it's great to have you here. Where are you calling in from today, Gina? Um, live just north of Colchester, so not too far. Oh, okay. All right. So I've got a ton of questions because uh, I know that you spend pretty much your whole career studying leadership, yeah? I have in all sorts of guises. <laughs> and I say, like, the more I studied it, I say it's not really become my specialism. I thought I would go in that area. But the more I studied it, the more I realised how much there is to understanding everything about human motivations and how you influence people and how, uh, how you create a great organisation. Uh, so I want to get into that, but I want to ask you a question that relates very much to my story. And we, we chatted about it. We had a chat, was it last week, was it? It was indeed, yes. So we had a chat last week and I told you a little bit about my story. And uh, uh, so th this question that I want to start with is going to relate very much to that. So the question is, when did you decide that you was a leader and what gave you the right? I'm not sure whether I decided to. I think that it was very evident to other people long before it was evident to me that I was a leader. Yeah. Very as a very tiny child, you know, I would lead my my dollies 
um, and I was told I was pretty bossy. Um, <laughs> and then at school, you know, I became a prefect and, and again, head girl, um, and so had a role as a leader. As a teacher, and that's how I started off my professional life, I was the leading professional in my classroom, and so I was leading children. And then as I took on responsibility, then started to lead other teachers and then um, people within other schools. And so things rather sort of mushroomed out. And when I left teaching, having been a head teacher for 20 plus years, um, in 2004 and started to work with businesses, it was using all of those leadership um, strategies and uh, abilities that I developed uh, within the education system and then using those to help people in business translate themselves into a very different sort of leader because there are leaders who lead and they are ineffective or they have little integrity and there's plenty of evidence of that around the world at the moment. Oh, yeah. And there are great enlightened leaders who take people with them, who uh, engage people in a very constructive and positive way, um, making the relationship better for both. And I think I recognise that in myself as my school became more and more successful um, and that came out of necessity. I, I mean, I, we were talking about the fact that um, I was a wheelchair user, ran my school for the most part from a wheelchair, couldn't physically get into the classrooms. So I had to develop a very different way of, of helping people step into their own power. It's funny, I've seen uh, all kinds of people, some who are, are very physically powerful, who wouldn't say boo to a goose, and I've seen some people who are completely the other way, saying, you know, you spent a lot of your time in a wheelchair, um, yet still have the qualities that people look to, and still can command the the uh, the attention um, and, uh, um, and actions of others. So it's interesting to hear about how maybe it was recognised by others. And then you started to identify with that. Yeah. 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 And I think that's true for a lot of people. And leadership is an interesting one because leadership can be um, done in a, a very empowering and great way, which is based on in integrity, compassion and the courage to do what's right. But leadership can also be a very negative thing. Look at gang culture. You look at some of the, uh, the leaders in history, you know, Attila the Hun, Hitler and so on. One could argue that they were great leaders. They took people with them. They had huge influence. You talk about influence. But I would suggest that that influence was based on fear and on, a, a, on a, a, an authoritarian sense that if you don't do what I want you to do, then your days are numbered, that physically you will be in uh, you'll be annihilated but that can also be people's fear that they are that they have no measure that they have no value and that although there's no physical direct risk to them then if people feel unvalued and not listened to that they are that the leader has values that are at variance with their own then there are huge risks in terms of their emotional well-being their mental well-being and i believe that's one of the reasons why there are such high levels of stress depression and quite frankly in men suicide you know suicide is the most common reason for death in men under 42 and you have to ask yourself the question why you mentioned 
uh, sort of been in situations where you've got people like uh, uh, Hitler. Uh, so it's funny, I, I used to run this leadership course, uh, I used to deliver it to local authorities, and one of the questions I was asked, I'm sure you've asked the same question, is what makes a good leader, and who is a good leader? I often get people to think about good leaders, and yeah. you can guarantee someone in the room is going to say Hitler, and it'll be yeah. with a bit of a laugh. When we talk about it, we always unpick it, and say, okay, so what do we mean? You know, you, you, you're laughing about this, and you've... But, I think you're half serious. What do we mean, you know, Hitler is a good leader? And I think that it often comes down to, uh, yeah, you're right. It's somebody who has the ability to influence. But none of that really condones Hitler's behaviour or any behaviour of anybody who's, who runs a, a, you know, a, a regime of fear or, or hurts anybody in any way. But unfortunately, sometimes people get caught in an environment. I mean, I worked in a toxic environment the last two years uh, working for Essex County Council where people feel that they're not being listened to, they're not being valued, and they're having to act and behave in a way that is discordant with their own values. And it's, as I describe it, as a toxic environment. And so it's no wonder that so many people struggle in a team environment. I think that's very true. And... I've noticed a sea change since the last recession in 2008-9. I think there was there's there've always been toxic environments. Yeah. However, I think the number, the scale of that grew exponentially. And I think it was partly because of the fear, will I survive? Can I be productive? If I don't meet my targets, if I don't do this, then the business is going to die and my sense of survival is connected with that. The paradox, of course, is that when you you are a leader who runs their organisation, their team, their family, their, their community, their society through fear, in many ways they will see a short-term gain because in the first instance people get caught up with the fact, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, otherwise I'll lose my job, otherwise you know, something terrible will happen. But very quickly that that trajectory starts to go down and then it goes down and begins to spiral down Mm. and so in a business context people who are working in that environment where there is no sense of that I as a person have value that nobody cares what I think and actually that my values my core values and many people don't even know what they are Mm. that they know when they're in a situation where it doesn't feel right, where people aren't genuine, where they don't, they say, do what I say, but their behaviours don't match that, where thing, decisions get overturned with no reason, where communication is poor, where people feel that they're just a pawn in what goes on, then very quickly those people start to feel stressed. And stress brings with it a whole plethora of physical difficulties, Mm. poor sleep, um, raised blood pressure, a poor immune system, and mental ill health. One in six of us before COVID will at some point have mental ill health. We know that stress affects the immune system. We're now down to one in two of us will have cancer. Now, I'm not making a direct link between stress and cancer or stress and heart disease. However, 
there is now a growing body of research which demonstrates that all of these things contribute and that where people feel well, where people feel full of energy and really want to engage, it's when they feel that they understand what the why is, what the purpose is, and they believe in it. Now, and interestingly, when you an organisation goes through difficult times, where the team, where the clients, where the suppliers are all in a, a, an alliance in terms of understanding what the why is and, and believe that's important, even in times of crisis, those organisations thrive. The opposite is true. If you have an organisation where you've not invested in people in terms of the relationships, where you have been draconian about the uh, what you've wanted, where you've not listened, where it's do as I say and not as I do, where you're, um, you're, there's a lack of integrity, what those organisations lack is the currency of goodwill. Now, goodwill is like a bank account, okay? Now, you and I both know that if your bank account is in the black, when there's a special deal, you can go and buy it. You can get a bit of interest. Not a lot, but you can get a bit of interest. You can invest that, that money in your, your black bank account. Yeah. But when you get into the red, then you start to pay banker's charges, then you start to pay for your overdraft and for the letter that they've sent you to say that you've over gone, gone over your overdraft. Yeah. When opportunities arise, you can't pay for those. You have to borrow money and you borrow money at compound interest. And so it costs you very, very heavily. Goodwill's just like that. And if you want a bank of goodwill, then it's no good waiting till something's gone wrong. You have to invest the time, the thought, the consideration into that bank account of goodwill from day one. I love and then that. you can draw upon it when things are challenging. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Uh, I, I love that. It's a really great analogy, actually. And so it, it affects all of our relationships, doesn't it? And Absolutely. So That's true of your, and for me, leadership is for life. Yeah. Okay, we're talking about business and, you know, I can just as easily talk about the business context, but every one of these lessons goes forward into life. And something we've not said, and I think is just so important, is that leadership starts with you. You have to lead yourself effectively before you can lead other people. Manage your emotional state. Understand what your values are and why they're important. And recognise what behaviours you need to um, demonstrate and what behaviours you need other people to demonstrate in order to feel that those values are being met. So it you have to do the work on yourself first. And, you know, you talked about that first baptism of fire. Um, <laughs> and we've all had one of those, I have to tell you. Um, but actually, not only did you learn about leadership, but I wouldn't mind betting that the biggest lesson is what you learned about yourself. Yeah, it is. And uh, it's so interesting you say that. The one thing that I learned out of that, uh, and I mentioned it to you the other day, is the fact that I was constantly deferring to my manager, who was a strong leader, good manager, Jim Hedges, yeah. amazing guy. Um, and uh, I, I was always looking for his approval. And yeah. so for me, um, I kind of felt like I was playing at the role and I needed Jim's approval for everything. And yeah. maybe this is 
indicative of some of my other relationships throughout my life where I've wanted approval from others to know that it's okay to lead when it was time to lead. Um, and as I, I explained to you, uh, you know, on a, a previous call, is that it was only when one day I realised I can't hang around forever for Jim to be there to say it's okay. And maybe if I just take the risk and do and say what I think I need to do as a leader and kind of yeah. I describe it as... as putting the hat on, stepping into the role, um, and maybe I have to fake it a little bit, but just to go with it and assume it's okay because what's the worst thing Jim's going to do? Well, the worst thing he's going to do is probably yell at me, and he did sometimes yell. <laughs> you know, he was a good manager, but sometimes he yelled. And But that was the worst thing. He would forgive me afterwards and then we would move on. But once I claimed to the right and stopped seeking approval of somebody senior or somebody that I... Um, that I respected, then I could get on and get the job. And actually, I noticed within just a few weeks, the situation around me started to change. And I'm not surprised at that. I talk about giving yourself permission. And so often that voice in our head that says, oh, you mustn't do that, or you've got to do that, is a parent, a teacher, a boss. And what we're implicitly doing is saying, I need your permission in order to be my genuine self. But once you turn around and you think, do you know what? I'm going to give myself permission. I'm going to listen to other people because that's important. And often they've got something to offer me. But at the same time, when you step into your genuine power, you give yourself permission to be the leader in your own life. You stop being a victim to other people's opinions. And of course, other people's opinions are important. But ultimately, the opinion that matters the most is yours. That's so true. That's so true. And like it or not, you will always get haters. You always get people who think that you should be leading your life some other way. Um, And, uh, you know, I think you have to decide whether you really care or whether you should care. Maybe you do care at first. I certainly did at first. It was not easy just to switch those feelings off. But once I started realising that um, my attachments to certain people and to their approval, whether it was whether they were for me or against me, once I started realising that that was an unhealthy model for me, then I started to be able to change things. I think it's a two-way thing. So if I put myself into the position of your leader Mm. at that time, I would suggest that perhaps what he may have done is to have noticed the pattern and to have a conversation with you to say, you know what, I've got confidence in you. You don't need to come to me every five minutes for my approval. You have my approval. That's why you've got the job. And it's a a really common issue for leaders in business. And I'd like to give an example. Um, I, I work with a number of businesses and all of the businesses that I work with within nine months are more productive, more profitable better relationships and better work-life balance. But it always has to start with the senior decision-maker. And in this case, when I started working with him, very stressed, and one of his complaints was that I never have a minute to myself. He worked in the business as well as being the owner because people are consistently coming and saying, is this okay? Is that all right? What about this? And I smiled and I looked at him and he looked at me. We'd we'd been working for just a little while. And I said to him, you do realise that at the moment you're blaming them. And actually, the answer's not with them. The answer's with you. You've taught them 
that in order to be okay and not to get into trouble and not to overstep the line, that you've taught them that you have to, to tell them whether it's okay. You're the arbiter of whether this is okay, poor, good or great. So one of the things as a leader is to actually teach your people what you want from them. Let me put it into a classroom situation, okay? And then I'll go back to business because the parallels are very significant. I'd have young teachers who would say, I can't get the kids to stop calling out. And so you'd look at what was going on and they'd say, you mustn't call out, you must put your hand up. So the child would go, miss, 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 miss. Yes, Johnny, what do you want? They'd give them the answer and then they'd say, now, next time, put your hand up. So the child learned that actually if I call out, I'll get attention. And so the teachers are actually training their children to do the very job that they didn't want. It's true with leaders. If you're constantly requiring people to come to you or you don't give them the confidence the training, the understanding of what makes this good and what do you need to do in order to make that excellent. Now, when as an organization you have a shared understanding of in the context of this specifically, this is what good looks like and I don't want anything less than that, but actually what I'm looking for is excellence and so it's that with this and everybody shares that language about good and excellent, then you start to see things change. Now, the next stage is that when everybody had been trained and they still had the habit, 95% of what we do is habitual, still came and said, is this okay? Instead of saying yes or do this, he would say, so what do you think? Is it good enough? How could you make it better? And so people started to think for themselves. It's not instant. It takes some time. It takes consistency in terms of your approach. What's interesting now is the organization sees themselves as a learning organization. They work as a team. They initially worked on piecework, but they work as a team. They initially worked incredibly long hours. They work much shorter hours. And their profitability has gone up by a third. It's gone up from 550 grand a year uh, a turnover to 880 grand a year turnover. Wow. And their profitability margin, even though that they have um, invested a lot in training and in equipment, is still greater than it was. Yeah, Why? Because really everybody's impressive. engaged and understands. Mm. Yeah, it's funny. When we think about leadership, quite often we uh, think about the the softer qualities in terms of uh, people being happy and motivated and, you know, uh, that discretionary effort that you get when people feel that way. Uh, But there are some real hard and fast uh, sort of measurable uh, sort of outcomes of that. Obviously, you talked earlier about about staff turnover and uh, people being unhappy. So there's a lot of cost savings to be made there. And of course, the cost savings as well as recruiting somebody new and bring them up to um, up you know, up to spec. Um, but I, I was, as you were talking about earlier, I was thinking, uh, when it comes down to, I uh, say, leading and influencing people, people in most situations will act 
in accordance with what they know and are, you know, are used to. So exactly what you're talking about in the classroom. And so a stress response for somebody you know, in any pressured environment, whether it's a team or not, is to go back to what they already know. And whether that is to put their hand up or scream or you know, whatever it is. I mean, I spent 10 years working with adults with learning disabilities who had uh, very, communi- uh, very severe communication difficulties and challenging behaviour around that. And what we found is that the biggest problem is, like, we're telling people, stop doing that, stop doing that, but we're not giving them the means to do something else. And Absolutely. so because we're not giving them more tools by coaching, like you're talking about there, because we're not giving them more tools, people go back to stress responses and, um, uh, and familiar behaviour Absolutely. Always. Yeah. It's, it's like an old broken record that gets stuck. And, you know, they talk about neural pathways being created in 28 days of doing the same thing for 28 days. But one of the things that I've recognized is that works and people start to do whatever the new thing is until there's a stressor. And the less that's so embedded. And for me, I reckon that takes nine months. But unless it's so embedded that they stop doing the new thing and they go back to the old thing because it's familiar. We call it a strong suit. That strong suit is it's worked for me in the past. And I, so I use it again, even to the point where it's not no longer working. Yeah. But we don't actually activate the conscious brain, the unconscious brain, the, the part of the brain that makes us breathe create new cells is the bit that governs these habitual ways of being. So it doesn't cross the conscious brain at all, which is why people revert to things without even thinking about it. It's unconscious. It's without thinking. And so if you want the new pattern to be embedded, you can't just do it for a little while. You've got to keep it up. It's got to become part of the fabric, the culture, the language of the place. Love it. That's that's very strong. Now, thinking about the context of a small business owner, a small business, trying to grow out their team. Maybe they're looking to make the first hires. Now, you talk about enlightened leadership. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about enlightened leadership and how we can apply that to a team that we are either creating or growing. Enlightened leadership differs from leadership in the sense that it's about having a, an understanding that in order to, um, to lead well, to engage people in a a way where we can harness their creativity, their expertise, their, their influence. We have to have a very, very clear vision. What's our why? That purpose, it needs to be strong and it needs to have integrity. It needs to be about how you can lead with compassion and really understand your people. And, you know, you don't have to like your person, they're not your buddies necessarily, but you do have to care about them. You have to take an interest in those people and know them. You you talk about influence. How does each person learn? Because we all learn in a different way. So if I want to teach you something and I want to teach a, a series of things to you and do it that effectively, knowing the best way that you learn is gonna help me. It's no good teaching you in the way that I learn So it's about knowing what motivates people and we're motivated by different things and understanding that the more you know about your people, the more that you care about them and that you are able to work with them in that way, the more everybody gets out of it. It's also about sometimes you've got to have the hard conversations. So sometimes you've got to have the courage 
quite early on to say to people, do you know what? That's not good enough. I don't, I expect more of you. But, and there's a big but, it has to come after you've shared the expectations and that there's been effective training. Then with all um, integrity, you can turn around and say, that's not good enough. But what a lot of people will say is that's not good enough, but they don't give people an understanding of what does good look like. I don't know that I'm doing it wrong, yeah. but you're telling me do it better. What does better look like? And to add into that, so I just want to go back to what you said earlier. Is you used the word why, and of course what, the word why is, is very powerful. And uh, I think the other thing that goes alongside with that, that uh, you probably agree with, is the fact that you've got to understand why it matters to you. So if you're asked to do something, why does this matter to me? Not just because it's required of the business. No, no. And why is it important? What am I going to add in terms of value to this why? Because if you have an understanding of what the why is, what the purpose is, and you believe in it, and you want to, to see this thing, whatever the why is, succeed, and feel you have a contribution to make, then magic happens. Now, you might argue, well, you know, I'm a, I, my work's finances, so what's my why? My why is to find somebody uh, the best mortgage deal. But that's not the why. You have to dig deeper. And very often the what comes at the bottom of the why in terms of, the, of looking at the real base of what's going on is that you're providing people with a sense of security or a sense of freedom, or happiness, or a value that is one of the real underpinning values to life. And it may be that you're selling people a product or a service, but understanding what's important about that is really, really um, motivating to people. And if you're in an organisation that's selling something or doing something that is not within your 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 values i would say to you start looking for a, a, another another role if your business is something that you don't believe in i would suggest to you you need to have a real think about that mm. you know it's my belief that we're moving into a new era of consciousness that we are as human beings we are a watershed and that if we carry on as we are we're going to destroy one another and going to destroy the planet you know, if you look at the division, the hate, the uh, the the number of places where there are conflict, if you look at how people are struggling to find a way forward, I believe that we need to find leaders who are going to see this and actually embrace the need to lead in a way where they leave a living legacy. Now, remember, everything you say or don't say the way in which you say it, when you say it, who you say it to, everything you do, how you do it, when you do it, or if you don't do it, every choice you make leaves a living legacy, like it or not. It leaves a mark. And so I'd say this is, you know, the, the thought that everything that you do leaves a mark. Um, and then if we approached our whole life like that and think what kind of mark do we want to leave, then maybe we wouldn't react so much. Maybe yeah. we would be more intentional and purposeful with our decisions and our actions. And maybe we would create better relationships. Take away the maybe. 
take it because yeah. I know I've used this myself. I've used this now with hundreds of people that once you start to recognize that everything you do is a choice, even not choosing is a choice. Yeah. And every choice has consequences. And quite honestly, often it's the not choosing and the letting things drift that has greater consequences. So if you're intentional, if you're proactive about these things, then life takes on a very different, more enlightened way of being. And I think that takes us back into our genuine power, being authentic about who we are. It's my belief that each of us is a, an amazing, unique being. I mean, just look at the, the machine that we live in. You don't have to say to yourself, breathe, or toenails grow, or heartbeat, or, you know, I've eaten my breakfast, come on, digestion, get on and digest it. Even at that physiological level, we are amazing, aren't we? And each one of us is different. Incredible. Add then our intellect, our experience, our enthusiasms, our motivations, and we each have the power to make a very positive difference in this life to ourselves, to the people that we um, live with, that we care about, our family, our friends, our partners, to our business, to our clients, to everyone. And it might sound like a heavy load, but it isn't, because we can only do this moment by moment. We can't change the past. We can only learn from it. We don't know if the future is going to arrive. The only time we have is now. And so this is about stepping into your power and being, um, being really, as you say, intentional about what we do, how we behave, how we react. And if we all did that, then I think the world would be a very much better place. Mm. Now, you mentioned stepping into your power. I love that. That's a wonderful expression, stepping into your power. And in my experience, personally, as somebody coming through leadership positions, but also uh, working with people in, um, you know, work settings, that's, that's often the big pro problem, isn't it? Is it claiming the right, claiming the power, as it was for me, claiming the, like the, is it authority, responsibility, whatever it was, but claiming the right to be able to have confident conversations with people and expect that they would do what I asked them to do reasonably. Um, and so uh, one of the things we talked about the other day was the difference between situational and positional leadership. Yeah. You know, just being given a job title, as I was then a support team manager, that was a positional leader, but it didn't give me the confidence to to pick up that space. And equally, uh, you know, I often talk about my friend Nigel, who was uh, my best friend uh, back at school, and he, like everybody deferred every, every decision to him because he had, whether it was charisma, whatever it was, but he had some, uh, you know, undefinable qualities that people yeah. looked at him and said, you know, I need Nigel's approval. You know, so they were always doing that. And that, to me, is situational leader. You know, he didn't have to have, a, yeah. you know, a title. Uh, so uh, can you talk to us a little bit about how do we claim the right? How do we claim or get find the power, find the confidence to step out there and lead a team or a group of people to achieve results? Go back to what I said earlier. In the first instance, you have to claim the power to lead yourself. That's about your relationship with you. Do you have a sense of self-worth? Do you have self-confidence? Because ultimately, if you have those things, then everything else sort of slots into place. It's a bit like those dominoes that they have in a strip that, you know, once that goes over, then they all fall into place. Now, 
one of the measures I use with people is to ask when they're talking about something, you say, you know, that was really good. And they turn around and say, no, 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 it was all wrong. (laughs) And so one of my questions is, do you use the same criteria to measure your own worth, your own achievements as you do other people? And many people don't. In fact, I'd say the vast majority don't. Um, And so what I would say in the first instance, it is about using the same criteria for yourself as you do others. And I use the principle of being your own best friend. You know, if you have a really good friend, if they did something to upset you, then you'd tell them, but you wouldn't keep on and on and on. You know, that voice in our head that says, oh, God, you shouldn't have done that. And it goes round and round and round. So the first thing I think, and, and for me, a lot of the work that I do with people before we get into leading others is about having the confidence to recognize that you are a leader within yourself. And in terms of that, you know, helping people um, start to love who they are, wobbly bits and all, and we've all got bits that we don't particularly like, haven't we? Um, And that um, ultimately recognizing that, you know, we are perfect as we are, but that doesn't mean that there aren't lots of ways that we could develop to be even better. And I think with all of this, it's about what do you need to do in order to have that great relationship with yourself? That's first and foremost. If you're dealing with other people and you're going into a networking meeting or you're going into a client meeting, you know, you talked about faking it till you make it. And there are some certain techniques that I think that are really helpful. And one of those is archetypes. Now, an archetype is somebody uh, of a particular um, strata of society who, and there are certain characteristics that we we uh, assume that they have. So we'd assume that a loving mother is nurturing and compassionate and caring, yeah. that a serial killer would be cold and calculating and have no moral value. But I use the two, uh, two assertive um, archetypes, and I found that one or other suits people best. And the first one is to be a medieval king or queen. Oh, okay. And if you think about being a medieval king or queen and standing as you would, shoulders back, head up, but fairly relaxed, feet slightly apart, because royals have to stand for long periods of time, but a royal in medieval time, if you didn't like what you said, it would be to the tower and off with your head. So within that archetype, what's important is that within your head is the intention that you will be listened to. Yes. Okay. So once the intention is there, the body language, over 50% of our communication is body language. Once you put yourself into an assertive, never aggressive, but assertive body language, then people listen. People used to say to me, well, how is it you can stand in front of 600 people every morning and you just clear your throat or fold your arms and they all sit up? I could dance naked in front of them and they don't take any notice. Why? Because I assume I'll be listened to. The other archetype is that of warrior, but not of a warrior who's on the attack but a warrior who's standing guard, one foot slightly in front of the other so that they can move in any direction. But with the body language, which says, don't even think about messing with me because you're never going to get anywhere. There is no aggression in it. And in many ways, the two physical stances are very similar, 
head up. Imagine that there's a golden uh, piece of string just pulling you up a bit taller. Shoulders back. Ladies, be very careful. You don't need to point your chest. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> um, but there is that real sense of solidity that you're grounded. It's great if you're in a pub waiting to be served. It's great if you're taking something back to a shop. But it also works with clients, with staff. It works with your teenage kids too. And all of these things, as I say, they're lessons for life. If you expect to be listened to, you use the body language that you expect to be listened to, then you'll be really surprised how people do start to listen. And it's important to practice it. You know, do it walking along the road or sitting in front of the telly. You don't have to be standing, but just get yourself, create that intention and practice it so it becomes second nature. Brilliant. Two really key things there. Uh, so the first was, as you say, expect to be listened to. Uh, to me, that was exactly the reason why things changed when I came yeah. to the riot, because suddenly yeah. I expected that if I asked a member of staff to do something, and I never would ask somebody to do something that was unreasonable, that no. they would do it. And, yeah. you know, it, once I started to have that in my head, and I started to realise, look, this is, you know, unthinkable what, you know, that somebody would think otherwise, then everybody changed. And, of course, your physiology, I know this from my NLP training, your physiology affects everything. And if you just stand and look comfortable, I used to teach physical intervention training, and um, a lot of that was about how you stand. It was all about stance. And yes. so, uh, yeah, there's so much science. You give up an energy, don't you? a very different energy. Mm. And, you know, if people are feeling um, feeling worried or feeling depressed, you would have got their body language. It's all sort of slightly depressed. But if you, you imagine that you've just won the pools and somebody's told you you've won five million, you'd be sitting up, wouldn't you? You'd be, the energy that would be coming out of you would be very, very different. Yeah. And learning to harness your own physiology is incredibly important. Yeah, love it, love it. Listen, I've got a couple more questions that I need to ask you that I'm dying to ask you uh, before we start wrapping things up. But uh, tell me a little bit about you because I know some people are going to want to get hold of you. I also know that you're doing an Enlightened Leadership Program. Now, I don't normally rock on about people's programs, but... Uh, hands up here I am an affiliate of your program I very rarely say yes to being an affiliate of people I get I'm sure I'm like any other business owner out there I'm always asked to be in affiliate programs but I love the work that you're doing at the moment Gina so (laughs) more than welcome tell me about your uh, enlightened leadership program and how people can get in touch the enlightened leadership program is uh, 10 months long. We talked about making sure that things are embedded and uh, have become really part of your uh, your daily way of being. It's 10 months. It's fully supported by leadership um, uh, facilitators. It's all delivered online. So it's videos, PowerPoint presentations, um, it's activities, it's themed journals, it's books. Um, and also one-on-one with your leadership facilitator. It's group coaching with me. It's accredited by the CPD Standards Office, so it counts for, uh, for continuous professional development hours. And at the end of it, you become um, a, 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 an accredited enlightened leader. Um, it's also um, one of those things where we want you to do a project within it, and a project which really that you need to do anyway. So, for example, I talked about the member of staff who got his, his staff thinking. That could be a project, and we will help you embed that in what you do. 
So it's a great program for those who really need to uh, to crack on and they want to do an accelerated program, that there is an accelerated program with me one-on-one um, and, and that can be, be uh, a three-month or a six-month program depending on what it is you're trying to do. To find out about the Enlightened Leadership Program, the 10-month program, go to enlightenedleadership.co. Um, you can contact me at gina at genuinely-you.com. You can see uh, Genuinely You, that's my business. Um, and if you email me, then I'll very happily uh, set up a, a free call. We can have a discussion and see if either of those programs are right for you. Love it. Love it. Thank you, Gina, so much. Uh, you know, I really want to endorse this program. Uh, it, it, a lot of the leadership training that I've done in the past has been things that probably affected me more than anything and affected my confidence and ability to uh, not just lead, but to run a successful business. And to, it's affected my relationships in so many different ways. Um, and I will say that to get a, a program CPD, um, CIPD credited is a big deal. Uh, so you know, this is a proper good program and it's not just a load of videos that you watch passively. You've got yeah, you know, Gina there as a coach and, you know, some proper good training as well. So, uh, yeah, do get involved. What I'm going to do is I'll make sure that all the links that you mentioned there, Gina, are on our show notes page, which is going to be getrealaboutbusiness.com forward slash two dash two. And I'll flash that up on the screen so that you can see it if you're watching here on the video right now. Uh, so let's getrealaboutbusiness.com two dash two. That will take you to the show notes page with all the links there. You can click on the, the link there to go and see, um, to have a chat with Gina about uh, joining the program and a uh, full disclaimer here it is an affiliate link I will get a little bit of a kickback uh, for uh, if you go along doing that but do it for yourself don't do it for me anyway <laughs> Gina thank you so much uh, I want to come back to uh, to my final couple of questions and the, the first question okay. being okay um, a lot of people struggle when they first step into a team leadership role yeah and so, you know, you talked a little bit about sort of claiming the right and, you know, stepping into your power. Um, what are some of the other areas in which people make mistakes and should be looking to avoid? I think people, it's often polarised. People come in with the view, I've got to change everything in order to make my mark. Oh. And they don't, um, they don't actually wait to see what's going on. Um, and they throw the baby out with the bathwater. They cheese everybody off because people have been doing things and felt that they were right. And they just come in and they just sweep it all away because they want to be seen as I'm the new leader or they wait so long thinking I mustn't change anything. I've got to see what goes on and they leave it and leave it and leave it and leave it until it becomes, well, it's not going to do anything. And so getting that balance between recognizing that you need to, uh, to, see what's going on and then make a judgment, um, I think is really important. The second thing is get to know your staff. You know, don't make assumptions about them. You may have been told by other people, but make your own judgments because very often other people's assumptions are based on something that you wouldn't agree with. So get to know your staff uh, and be upfront with them and say, look, I'm not gonna change anything for 30 days or two months or whatever. Uh, I want to find out what's really going on. I want to know from you what's working, what are the things that aren't working. And I would say engage your staff in the process because if you engage them, they've got ownership. And you can be really clear and say, this is 
not negotiable. All right, whatever else happens, it's not negotiable because, and have a good reason why, that this is up for grabs. So now let's do it. But be really clear about what is negotiable and what's not, rather than saying, oh, yes, that's fine, and then going back on it, because that's kiss of death in terms of, of people understanding that you have integrity. Yeah, I love that, uh, particularly that last one about what's, what is and what isn't negotiable, uh, because sometimes, you know, I'm sure that I've not made that clear many times in the past, and so I've ended up with needless conversations that have gone around and around, and there's been frustrating really frustrating to me but no yeah. doubt just as frustrating to the other person and they probably think that I'm being unreasonable but maybe if I was a little bit clearer about what is and what isn't maybe that would make a difference and that's the, the crux of it I think that you have to be clear in your own mind what mm. is negotiable and why and what isn't and why and with all of this it always comes back to you as the leader if you have clarity about what you're trying to achieve and why and how, then those conversations become much easier. But if you're a bit woolly and many people think they're communicating clearly, and uh, you know, another principle is that what comes out of your mouth is not necessarily what people receive. Mm. You know, that you have to be really clear that people have understood what you meant by it not what they meant by it. And that's very true in partnerships as well as <laughs> at home, yeah. as well as it is at work. Yeah. You know, you've got two ears and one mouth for a reason. You know, listen twice as much as you talk and then check back with the person that they have understood what you meant to say in terms of what they have taken on board and heard. Brilliant. Excellent. Gina, thank you so much for everything you shared there today. Um, I, one of the things that I'm always keen to do on this podcast is make sure that there's something that's actionable. I think you've mentioned a lot of things that people can start working on today. Um, and maybe it's a, one of the things that I would encourage people to do is maybe sit, find some time, sit down and figure out where they need to work on. You know, what are yeah. the areas in which perhaps they're a little bit weaker or, or they could focus on that would start to create a difference in, in your yeah. world? Um, so, a final question to you, Gina. We talked about loads of different things. If you had to pick one thing from today, or maybe something you haven't mentioned, but if you had to pick one thing f that you think is a good place to start for somebody to become a more effective, more enlightened leader, what would that be? I think I'd say start to look at your beliefs about yourself, the world, your business. You know, our beliefs can limit us or they can empower us. And most of us don't think about the beliefs that we have. So, for example, money is a great one for business owners. You know, were you brought up with that money doesn't grow on trees? You have to kill yourself to work hard enough to get money. Yeah. If those are your beliefs, then those will become your reality. So do an audit of your beliefs. Look at those which empower you. They're keepers. Those that get in the way of you achieving what you want, then it's time to deal with those. And I'd just like to leave a very, very quick story, if I may. Go for it. 2006, I had left Headship and I had done a, 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 in my NLP, uh, I was a master practitioner. And I wanted to see as many people using NLP as I could. And so I went off to see Tony Robbins. He's probably the best motivational speaker in, uh, in the world in terms of, of, of reputation. Yeah. And I got to the Excel Centre in London, 10,000 people on the course. 10,000. That was mind-blowing. Yeah. And he spoke in the morning. I have to say I went very cynically thinking, big American, lots of hype, 
be rubbish. I was wrong. <laughs> um, and he talked about a program he was doing in, in California. Now, at that time, I was completely wheelchair-bound, could manage three or four steps unaided, and I dismissed it. thought, how would I do it? I couldn't get to the States. Um, in, I didn't have an, a travel electric wheelchair in those days. Just dismissed it. That evening, we did the firewalk. So you walk on hot coals in bare feet, and if you're in the right mindset, you don't get burned. About 30 feet, okay? And with help, somebody each side, I managed to do it. It's the furthest I'd walked for a number of years. I was absolutely wow. thrilled with bits. As the kids at school would say, thrilled to little mint balls, chuffed to little mint balls. <laughs> I sat down in my wheelchair and I looked at the next guy who was a double amputee who had no legs below the knee. He tipped himself onto his hands and he walked on those hot coals in his hands. I was blown away. I was humbled. And I thought, if he can do that, then I can go to America and I can go on that course. Yeah. Booked my flight, booked my ticket, went, had a great time, did all Anthony Robbins stuff, became a senior uh, leader. I've traveled the world speaking and working. And that's because that guy showed me I was limiting. Now, I traveled the country doing work, but I always went with the same taxi driver. Uh, so it was done in a very safe way. But that guy taught me that I was self-limiting. And I share it with people because I wonder how many of your li listeners are self-limiting because they believe something that actually that limits them that isn't true. So challenge your beliefs. Wow, wow. Very powerful story to end up with there. Gina, thank you so much for everything you've shared today. A little reminder, I'm going to be putting uh, all the links to Gina, uh, Gina's Enlightened Leadership Programme, and to how to get in contact with Gina on the show notes page, getrealaboutbusiness.com forward slash, uh, sorry, getrealaboutbusiness.com uh, forward slash two dash two. And uh, you can go and check Gina out there and follow her and, uh, and get involved in her programme. And I think just... Uh, you know, final message to Gina, as I would share with you as well as a, as a listener right now, is that you are incredible. You have so much untapped potential. And the thing is, exactly as Gina said there, you, the vast majority of the reason why you're not nearly as successful as you'd like to be is the fact that you haven't claimed the right and you haven't dared to, dared to take the risk to do what you know that you could. So take this as an opportunity to go out and claim whatever is yours in life. Uh, there's plenty there to, to work on. Uh, I would encourage you to go back and do some of the exercises that Gina has said today, uh, particularly looking at what your self-worth is and uh, maybe what your money story is and, uh, and anything else that's holding you back. But take, uh, you know, take some confidence in this. You can achieve a lot. We're going to continue with our journey we'll no doubt we'll have gina back on the show sometimes if i can twist her arm a little bit um so if you want to hear more from gina then do me a favor and put us a comment in and we'll we'll see if we can get gina back on talking about another topic uh, but it's been brilliant for me today i've learned lots and i hope you have too we're going to be back next week with uh, more tips and tricks for you to grow your business scale your business and make a bigger impact with what you do a little reminder if you are watching on youtube right now then you can check out these videos uh, which will have other related content that you might like to watch too uh, so we'll be back again with more content next time and until then take care of yourself here's to you and your highly successful business <laughs>